G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And you can learn more about us by visiting anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled Whole Life Holiness and it focuses on 1 Timothy chapter 3. We hope you enjoy the sermon. First reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, found on page 1458. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of both one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, nor violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife, and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by (coughs) angels, was priest among the nations, was believed on the world and was uh, was taken up in glory. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Loving Lord God, we thank you so much uh, that you are God of order and grace. And Lord, as we seek to um, look into and peer into the mystery of your love and power and might, we pray that you would have, give us hearts to perceive it and lives ready to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the other day we were driving past Gary Mountain and I saw a cow with a piece of timber wrapped around its neck. Being a city boy, I panicked and I thought there was a cow in trouble. And so I drove to the nearest 
farmhouse. There was no farmer there, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, we, we, we gave up looking for a farmer and we kept on driving. And I was sharing this story of this poor neglected cow right beside the highway um, when Ben Langus um, chuckled at me and said, no, that piece of timber was tied around that cow's neck in order to make, it, make sure it doesn't go through fences. And considering that poor cow was right next to a highway, that was a really, really good thing. It's amazing how when we know why a thing is there, we can appreciate it more. It can go from being a bad thing to actually being a good thing. Sometimes knowing where something comes from gives us a whole new appreciation of them. In today's passage, 1 Timothy 3, and I really encourage you to have that open in the church Bibles, 1458, 1 Timothy 3, 1458, we're going to learn about awesome Anglican orders and whole life holiness. Namely, we're going to learn about bishops, priests, and deacons. In the um, church in the Philippines, the Anglican church in the Philippines, in America, and in Scotland, the Anglican movement is called the Episcopal Church. And that's because we have an Episcopal form of government or an Episcopal order in our church of bishops, priests, and deacons. There are, other, there are other people, but basically that is our structure. The Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches are also Episcopal churches. They have that structure. And what I love about this is that there is a clear biblical structure for church leadership, which we can apply. And it's right here in 1 Timothy. Paul writes, here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, in our language, that's a bishop, he desires a noble task. So today we're going to break down the three awesome Anglican orders and look at what this means for the rest of us. So firstly, a bishop. A bishop is a priest among priests. As the church grew, they quickly needed people to give oversight over churches. Bishops were given responsibility for groups of churches, and they would ordain ministers, raise up leaders, bringing order to the churches they cared for. As Paul mentions to his little mate Timothy, his apprentice, he tells us ten things a bishop should be. Surprisingly, they don't relate to performance or to ability, or to uni degrees, or qualifications. Instead, they relate to family and character. So the first thing a bishop should be is he should be faithful in marriage. At the time, men often had multiple wives. Polygamy was normal. Jesus teaching that one man and one woman mar marriage was a God-given intention quickly became the norm in the church. This didn't mean that only married people could become bishops or that widowed ministers couldn't get remarried. It simply meant that Jesus' ultimate for his disciples was either to be single and chaste or married to one person. And Paul wants this to be the model for his leaders. 
The second thing bishops are to be is they're to be temperate and self-controlled. This harks back to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. As God is controlled, so leaders of his church must be like him. The third thing is hospitable. Hospitality was vital at a time where there were no hotels. And bishops were to welcome guests and strangers if, as if they were Jesus himself. The fourth thing is teachers. Here bishops were required to teach the faith at a time when many Christians were young to the faith. The fifth thing is sober. Drunkenness was clearly an issue for the Ephesian church, and people who can't regulate their drinking habits can't support the church. Sixth, bishops were to be gentle. We see that violent and quarrelsome men aren't qualified. If you can't control your anger, what hope do you have of being able to guide the church? Seven, not a lover of money. Towards the end of his letter, Paul writes, money is the root of all kinds of evil in 1 Timothy 6.10. He's not saying that leaders in the church must be poor or bad with money, but when money becomes an idol, things become a problem. And the church should always, particularly leaders, should always put God first. The eighth thing applies to family life. A bishop in Paul's eyes should be able to manage his family. If you've seen my kids at church, you'll see why I could never be a bishop. <laughs> Although Mike is proving me wrong, he's, he's behaving really, really well this morning. <laughs> but it's also true that if you can't preach the gospel to your family, you're going to struggle to preach it to others. And this is why it's important for a bishop to be able to care for their family. The ninth applies to spiritual maturity. Young converts often seem like great leaders. They've got plenty of energy. They've got a wonderful story of conversion. But here, Paul warns us against putting them under too much responsibility with ha having their faith stand the test of time. If people can fall in love with Jesus quickly, they can fall out of love with him and fall into all sorts of traps. The tenth thing is a good reputation. Paul warns us that without a good rep reputation, again, leaders may fall into the devil's trap. Leaders who have something to hide are often exposed. And while this doesn't mean we can't forgive people, it does mean that leaders shouldn't leave the church into disrepute. Today, bishops are still charged with oversight. That's one of the things that I love about being an Anglican, is we have a church structure. You can't have a particular leader rising up and taking all the power. Our regional bishop is Cameron Venables. And pray for him, because he's currently the archbishop's commissary, so he's acting in, in support of the archbishop, Philip Aspinall, who is stepping down from his role at the end of the year. He's been our archbishop since 2001. So please be praying for his family as they start a new chapter and for our diocese as a new bishop is chosen, as a new archbishop is chosen, and we begin a new chapter in the Brisbane Diocese. Bishops in Anglican churches also have special authority 
to ordain and confirm members of the church and to equip them for mission. So that's bishops. Let's have a look at priests. Now you may have noticed that priests aren't mentioned in 1 Timothy 3. This is because overseers, which we call bishops, and elders, which we call priests, the word in Greek for um, elders is presbyteros, from which we get the word priests, had similar roles. And in the church in Ephesus, they may have been the same people. However, in the writings of the church fathers, as early as Ignatius of Antioch in 110 AD, it seems the church soon had to separate the order of bishop and priest. So you can read about priests in Titus 1 verse 6, where he says an elder or a priest must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. To see, again, it's not so much about competency as it is about character. We can also read about priests in 1 Timothy 5. Oof, has it appeared? disappeared? Oh, I didn't put it up there. Anyway, 1 Timothy 5, <laughs> 17 says, The elders or priests who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Here we see that priests have a local teaching ministry. And finally, uh, this passage from James. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders, the priests of the church, to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. There is a local pastoral aspect to being a priest which bishops don't have. Their role isn't to oversee many churches, but to serve specific churches and empower them for mission. Peace, priests, like bishops, also pronounce blessings and absolutions, extending God's forgiveness to God's people in confession. They are servants, and their focus is the local church. On to you, Ken. Here we go. Deacons. <laughs> now let's have a look at deacons. In verse 8, we read, Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. Alcohol was a problem in the Ephesian church, and here again, we see who you are is much more important than what you can do. You may be wondering, where are all the ladies in this? Where are the ladies in 1 Timothy 3? Well, in verse 11, we read, In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, this is an unhelpful translation because in the original, Paul just writes, Women must be worthy of respect. The word wife and women is similar here. So many scholars argue that Paul is not talking about deacons' wives. So, sorry, Julie. <laughs> You're off the hook here. <laughs> He's talking about female deacons. As we saw last week, the church already had deaconesses like Phoebe, who we read about in Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church 
In Sankri, I, I googled this this morning. I had no idea how to pronounce that one. Um, Fiona, do you have any ideas? No, it would be a hard C, so it would be Kenkaria. 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 <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Here we see that the first Christians, from the first Christians to today, men and women need to work together to build up the church. The character temperament and reliability of all leaders is on show here. This doesn't mean that leaders in the church need to be universally liked by everyone, but the moral lapses of our leaders can undermine the work of the gospel and put people off following Jesus altogether. In our church, we're blessed to have Deacon Ken, and we could do with many more, hint, hint, hint. I once heard our Archbishop talking about deacons as ministry specialists. He actually talked about them as ministry ninjas, people who would come in with special gifts for a particular community. The word deacon comes from the word servant. Ken is a police chaplain, and while he serves everyone, his special focus, his special ministry gifting is in listening and supporting the police in our region. Which is a huge job, isn't it, Ken? It's uh, not easy. It's not easy. How diplomatic. (laughs) The reason why Ken reads the gospel of a morning is because the work of the deacon is is to support the people of God in proclaiming the gospel to the world. The reason Ken sets up the Lord's table before communion and then packs it away is because he is exemplifying service. The reason Ken leads us in confession is because a deacon's goal is to draw people to Christ. The reason why Ken tells us at the end of the service to go in peace to... Love and serve the Lord. ...is because deacons lead us in doing just that. Going into the community and sharing the good news with them. The good news of Jesus coming into our world, dying for our sins rising to eternal life and coming again. This message is for all God's children, everyone, everywhere. And this brings us to the point of this passage. It's not to create divisions in the church or as a job description to puff up a particular people. It's to equip God's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Mission. Baptized Christians are all called to ministry. Some people feel they ask themselves the question, Am I called to ministry? The the question to that is, Are you baptized? If, If the answer is yes, then you are called to ministry in the church. Christianity isn't a spectator sport, it's a team sport. It's not a Sunday thing, it's an every moment thing. Clericalism, the focus on clergy, hurts the church. In the early 15th century, Portuguese monks travelled to Japan to share the gospel. You can see them there in black, preaching to the Japanese. The church grew, particularly among fishermen and farmers, as many turned to Christ and were baptised. 
Unfortunately, the European missionaries didn't raise up Japanese leaders. And so when Europeans started to fight with the Japanese emperors, they banned Christianity in 1612. And incredible persecution broke out. And so they, they, they actually had a strategy. They didn't try uh, to persecute Japanese converts. They went for the priests. They went for the monks. They went for anyone who was a leader in the church. And they tried to exterminate them. And they thought, well, we'll cut off the head and then the body will die as well. Many of the Europeans left And those who stayed were hunted down. Sadly, the Japanese had learned to rely on foreign leaders. And perhaps that was the structure that had been set up there. And the movement, the church in Japan, seemed to die. Except it didn't. It lived on in people's hearts. And the church went underground with parents sharing their core beliefs in a Japanese way with their children. This is a a Japanese cross, but you can see it's disguised so that if if ever their houses were raised, they could say, well, that's just an ornament. It's just just a pretty, pretty thing. But what the Japanese did in their church is they held on to their core beliefs. They held on to the truth of the gospel. And And that's what 1 Timothy is all about. And this is why the final three verses of 1 Timothy 3 are vital for us today. Paul says in verse 13, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing to you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. These instructions for holy living aren't just for leaders, they're for all of us. Paul didn't ban polygamy because he knew that might break up families and leave women vulnerable. He didn't ban alcohol, but he did want to stop drunkenness. So what did he do? He taught Christians to live exemplary, holy lives, starting with the leaders, so that the whole church would follow. We are the church of the living God. And we read here that the church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of the truth. A pillar holds up a roof. The temple in Ephesus had many beautiful Pillars which held up this exquisite marble ceiling. Here Paul is using that vision to tell the people of God that they are the ones who hold up the truth. A truth that can shelter us and give us hope. Leaders are meant to be the foundation of truth. Giving structure and order in God's family so that all can work together to know Christ and to make Christ known through worship, education, outreach, and caring. And this is why Paul doesn't keep banging on about leadership. Instead, he pivots to the gospel, the gospel that we all share, that unites us and sets us free. He writes in verse 16, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. 
The people in Ephesus, they loved mysteries. They loved secret religions. They loved well-written poetry and knowing the answers to religious riddles and spells which they kept to themselves to puff themselves up. Here Paul says, you guys like mysteries? I'll give you a mystery. God. His kindness to us, even when we reject him. His But it's a truth that we can proclaim and share with the world. Notice the spiritual and physical links he makes. This little poem that comes at the end has basically three, three couplets. And we're going we're gonna to break them down. Um, line one says, He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, and was seen by angels. Sorry, line one. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, and was seen by angels. Jesus was a flesh and blood human being, but the Holy Spirit revealed him as God and showed he was right even when everyone else thought he was wrong. Among the nations. Again, spiritual angels, physical nations. Jesus came from heaven to earth to show the way, as the old song says. And that way was preached in Ephesus. While some factions in the church in Ephesus want to make the church about mysteries and myths, and other factions want to pit women against men and men against women, ultimately the church is all about Jesus. We never get beyond the good news of the gospel. And line three finishes off this song. He was believed in the world and was taken up in glory. Grace comes through faith, not through being a good leader or through having a good leader. All people all around the world are saved through faith in Jesus. John Stott points out that taken up in glory might be talking about how Jesus was taken up to heaven after his resurrection, um, which is, this is why we have different roles in the church. So we can effectively accomplish the mission of the church, seeking and saving the lost. We need bishops, priests, and deacons, different volunteer roles, different members of the body with specific roles and responsibility. But we also need you. We need all of you. We need to work together to glorify God and to build up his church, to encourage all people to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. So whether God is calling you to leadership into the church or in some other important role, we all have work to do. So let's embrace whole life holiness and play our part in God's mission for the redemption of the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.